Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. I'm super excited. You probably can't see me running on the spot here in my chair to interview Eric Isle today. He, uh, I got introduced to him via my partner's best friend. Don't we love that? And he is a human-centric coach amongst so many other things around leadership, uh, stop engaging employees, start being more human, which is the title of his book. So much more. Uh, Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Emma. I'm excited to chop it up with you today. All right. So let's kick it off with the Vegemite question, the Australian spread. I want to know, have you been to Australia and have you tried Vegemite? I have not been to Australia uh, and I have had Vegemite. Okay. All right. What's your take? I love it. I mean, I love salt and and umami. And I mean, that's just what Vegemite is, right? It's just <laughs> super savory, delicious. Yeah. All right. Well, I uh, I like you even more now. <laughs> I've already <laughs> told him off air that he reminds me of my mentor from back home. So just a big shout out to Aiden Thornton for everything that he does to impact my life. Because when I come across super scary, like smart people, I just want to be around them so I could learn more and more every day. So let's kick it off. Can you share with us your best coaching moment and what might be a lesson or two? Yes, I can. I, I've I, I will say I sort of hate to answer this question. Okay, because uh, I love it because it's it's like a danger. There's a danger of it that, that being an invitation to sort of brag or try to impress people, and I, I, I'm not interested in that. So, but I will tell you a true story and um, what I learned from it. And I think I'm gonna actually I'll start with what I learned from it, um, which is that every person in a workplace is a whole human with needs and aspirations and fears and motivations. Um, and that the purpose of work isn't to produce products or services or wealth. The only outcome that truly matters, the one for which I think all those other things are proxy, is human flourishing. So that's what I learned from this. So in this story, I am in my mid-30s. I first struck out on my own away from the corporate world that I grew up in and which I would later return to. But uh I don't remember how I how this first paying coaching client comes to me, but she does. And it's a situation where the employer is paying for the person to receive coaching. It's basically a situation in which she was told she had to go through coaching or be fired, which I, I don't have to tell you, Emma, not an ideal situation for a coach to step into, right? Uh, I want clients who want to become the best versions of themselves, right? Who are there under their own free will, not under duress. But um, you know, it, it kind of went against my my training as a coach, right? Because it's telling me that I have to fix this person. Um, so, you know, if this were to happen today, I I might turn that client down. But I don't think at that time I had the clarity or the financial freedom, honestly, to be able to do that. So, um, so this first paying coach paying coaching client is a highly competent manager. She has years of experience. She has serious technical skills. Her only shortcoming, Emma, is Everyone in the organization hates working with her. She's brusque. She's totally focused on tasks at the expense of people. Right? She's downright rude and kind of abusive. Um, so I show up to our first meeting 
and she's leaning back in her chair with her arms crossed, right? Come on, I dare you to coach me, right? It's kind of the thing. Um, and to be totally real with you, I'm just terrified. I, I've been coaching in the corporate world, but I do not feel qualified in this moment at all. I'm sure she's just going to see right through me, see I'm a total fraud, dress me down. So I don't really know what to do. So I just do what I do know how to do. We were required to have eight meetings together. And all I can do is ask questions, listen, try to establish some rapport and some trust, listen a whole bunch more, and then start to try to connect some dots. So after the first few meetings with her, I realized that I've got this depleted, depressed, diminished human being and corporate athlete, right? Who's, she's always performing and she's never restoring. Um, and she starts to tell me about all of these toys she has that she loves. Jet skis, water skis, motorboats, none of which she has used in years. <laughs> she goes to work, right? She works hard. She creates a whole bunch of friction. She gets people pissed off at her. She comes home. She's exhausted. She falls asleep in front of the TV and she does it all the next day, right? Um, we know these people, right? So, so what I end up working on together with this client isn't communication skills or relationship skills. It's not like, how do you win friends and influence people? It's supporting her in structuring her life so that she has more time for the things she loves. She is her most fully joyous and self-actualized and fulfilled person when she's out on the water, right? playing with these toys. So, so we work together to start finding more time for restoration and rejuvenation and recreation and about halfway through our time together, I actually hear from her boss um, that the issues with the coworkers, the not getting along, the belligerence have started to abate. Uh, the boss has noticed that she smiles and laughs more at work. And so this boss says, I, I don't know what you're doing, but you know, keep doing that. Like I said, I do not want to tell this story to brag about myself. It could have gone a completely different direction, right? My instincts and my approach could have been totally wrong. So there's an element of luck here, right? But but the results that I saw confirmed something I'd always suspected, right? Which, which, as I mentioned at the beginning of this story, everybody is a whole human. We all have very human needs. The purpose of work and business is to meet those needs, right? To support our aspirations, to minimize our fears. And the only outcome that really matters and we, that we get distracted from uh, is that sort of flourishing that she found. And that's, I think, what work is for full story. I love also just trusting your instincts by mm. truly listening. You're able to go, okay, well, there's this whole other part of yourself that you're actually hiding. And just listening to you share that story, it is something that is more prevalent now than ever before because of, especially because of this hybrid workplace, I think that all of a sudden, instead of getting more time back, we're, we're blurring the lines so much that we're not getting to the things that truly make us happy. And we all know when we're not happy, we're not that, we're not that much fun to be around. <laughs> we're not, we're, we're, we're not fun to be around. We don't make great contributions to the world. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think, you know, the, the early on in the pandemic, I heard someone say, you know, we're not just working from home. We're also living at work. And that's not totally healthy, right? Yeah. So, so figuring yeah. out that balance, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Harder Boundaries. now. Yeah. All right. What about on the flip side? Have you got a moment that didn't go well? 
Oh gosh, most of them. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think I think there's there's more failures than successes in my in my career for sure. But uh, I'd say I'd say one that didn't go well uh, was an executive that I was working with, where the specifics of our arrangement weren't clear from the get go. It wasn't clear whether I was there to coach, to be an administrative assistant <laughs> to, you know, it, it, the, the, the lines of our, cause I was, I was an employee at the time I was within a corporation. Right. And it was just the power dynamic was, was off. And this person was not, you know, a lot of coaches, we talk about coachability and in that moment in his life, he was not in a coachable place. And uh, the, the sort of the, the comeuppance of this was uh, was when, we were working on sort of a project together. So again, those lines are blurred of, am I assisting you? What am I doing? And uh, I made some decisions about how to approach the project. Uh, it was a merger of two companies. He was a CFO. Um, and it, as we were debriefing after the fact, when we, he, he asked a question about something that didn't happen. And that something that didn't happen was something that I had chosen very specifically not to do. And he said, well, I just figured you were lazy. <laughs> and you can't see the expression on Emma's face right now, but uh, her eyes are bugging out of her head. But yeah, that was my reaction too, on the inside, at least, you know, but I'm all alone with this very powerful guy. Um, and he tells me I'm lazy. And in that moment, I, you know, I, I had this, this urge to pick up a chair and, you know, throw it. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll be real about it, but uh but in that moment, I just thought, what, what do I do with this? You know, what, what do I do with this? And so what, did you do? Uh, <laughs> what I did is I said his words right back to him. I just said, you thought I was lazy. And he immediately backpedaled. Well, I don't, you know, that's not totally what I mean. Um, uh, and in that moment, I was just like, I'm done working with this person. This is not this is not effective for either of us. Uh, so, uh, so I had to walk away from that particular arrangement. So the lesson that I heard <laughs> is around mm. being clear from the, like get the specifics right from the start, be clear. And even being clear on what, like what does coaching mean to you? Right. Right. And that, that, that I think, and I will answer the question, but, but I think it is also the, the, the key question uh, because uh, yeah, I was I was having a, a conversation with a with a prospect recently, and and uh, you know, and he, I was, do you need a do you need a therapist? Do you need a coach, or do you need an advisor? And let's be clear about the difference among those three things. Right? Um, and uh, and those and you might need all three of those things, by the way, right? Um, and sometimes a coach can be an advisor, but you need, uh, I believe, explicit consent to step into that realm. Right. Uh, so, so for, so for me, you know, the, the coach's role is, um, is to listen and help the client gain perspective on what they're trying to accomplish and, and, you know, the, connect the dots for them between kind of what they aspire to and what they're sort of frustrated by currently. And, um, and that's something that, a, that a coach uniquely is skilled at, um, you know, the therapist is getting is really good at getting at the why. What what's going on underneath all of that stuff, right? And the advisor is really good at saying, well, here's how you might go about doing it. But I think the coach's role is clarity um, mm. above all. 
Mm. What do you think? Is that does that does that resonate for you? It totally resonates with me. And interestingly, because remember, our listeners are both sports coaches and business coaches, mm-hmm. right? So a traditional sports coach, and that's my most of my career so far has been on that side of the coin. Uh, you know, uh, so I think that it's important, even in my original sport of tennis, a teaching pro versus a tennis coach. I think there's a difference mm. there as well. Oh, so, yes. But I didn't know that myself until I realized that pure coaching is about unlocking the learning that lives within the person. So I love what you said around helping them gain clarity. They're here. They want to go here. Where's your aspiration? Right. What questions do I need to ask to give you clarity, to give you perspective mm-hmm. and clarity for you to unlock that the genius that is within all of us as whole humans to, to, you know, flip it back in your words. Yes. So yes, yes that really resonates. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Yeah, all right. Thank you. Tell me uh, your sliding doors moment in mm. your life. I'm sure you've had a couple. Uh, I <laughs> yeah. did watch a, a video where you shaved off your uh, mustache ones. I'm not. <laughs> yes. And it's back. If anyone uh, is watching this on YouTube, you'll see it's just perfectly manicured for this interview. Uh, <laughs> so, I, uh, could you share a sliding doors moment in your life? Yeah, yeah, and I and I agree with you. I think I think if we if we're paying attention, life is just a series of those, right? But um, I I do have a story from my from my corporate life. I will keep all of the details anonymous just to protect anyone who might be implicated, who didn't give consent to be a part of the story. Right. But I've worked for, for many, many years. I worked in a really terrible environment. That was a cut all costs at all costs kind of corporate environment. People uh, over time developed the belief that they were expected to kind of overpower other people, right. To treat their fellow humans poorly, to get ahead, that kind of environment. And I pretty much reached my limit after a few years and I got the opportunity to go work for this fun, youthful startup. Right? And the, the employer brand was all about play and fun. And it had all those sort of trappings of a mid-aughts startup, right? foosball tables and scooters to ride from building to building and uh, free-flowing espresso and snacks and sodas. And they even had a slide, right? I mean, just all of the like cliche things, but uh, after a couple months, I realized that the reality of this workplace culture was very different from those aspirations of its employer brand. Um, so the company was in a very competitive, low margin industry. So every gain or loss in productivity quickly showed up in their financials. So the pressures to work just long, hard hours were really immense. And so the company really overwhelmingly employed young people right out of college which I was definitely not at the time. And they, the company, uh, whether intentionally or not, really exploited the fact that in that phase of life, people could, could make work their whole life. So work became their social life and it met their need for fun and it extracted sort of every bit of value from people, right? So I, I very quickly came to feel like, well, this is not the place for me. But this company has, as one of its sort of key advisors, this brilliant consultant and philosopher, uh, in the last years of his life, as it would turn out. Um, and this was a guy who worked alongside Peter Drucker, who was management guru of the 20th yep. century. Um, this guy was part of NASA's Apollo missions. He was part of the inception of Disneyland and the invention of the video camera, for anybody who remembers what those were, um, and the ATM. Like he, was, he, was like, he was like the corporate Forrest Gump. Right? He was just there when all these things happened. 
Um, and so by the time I meet him, he's in his late 80s, um, but he's still very sharp, willing to meet with anybody who worked in the company to just talk, offer advice, share his, his ideas. So I was, I'm jumping on this opportunity before I leave this company. So uh, I meet with this man. Uh, he's in a wheelchair. He has sores all over his arms. He's definitely not well. Um, in fact, he didn't live long after I met with him a couple of years. But he was the most present and attentive and perceptive person that I have ever met. Um, something that you might not know about me is I was a music journalist in addition to being in the corporate world. So I was a music journalist for about a decade. So I went into this meeting with him like a journalist. I was just going to interview him, ask him lots of questions, learn from his life, right? Um, so we start into that. He's, he's totally game. He's answering all my questions. He has this incredible memory for things that happened decades ago. And eventually we get to the stage of his life where he was part of this particularly remarkable invention. And he tells me that he repeated this process of coming up with remarkable inventions throughout his lifetime. And I was like, I didn't know there was a process for that. I thought that was, you know, inspiration, divine, right? Um, so I asked him to tell me, what is this process? And, and Emma, he looks at me uh, just like so meaningfully. And he says, the first step is to gain perspective. And he says, there's no feeling in the world quite like being in perspective, right? And then he just sort of sat quietly. And I think he was sort of waiting for that, you know, to land with me, but it, it didn't really, really. I was eager to get onto, okay, great. So what's step two, you know? So I ask him what's next. And Emma, he leaves the room in his wheelchair, rolls right out of the room and goes into his office. And I think I've maybe offended him, right? Uh, he, he leaves me alone for, and, you know, it felt like hours. It was probably five minutes, right? But uh, he eventually returns and he's holding a book that he wrote. Um, and he rolls up really uncomfortably close next to me. And he opens up the book to a chapter in the middle and he starts reading to me about gaining perspective. And I, 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 I'm not kidding you, Emma. I start crying. I tear up and I might, <laughs> might do it again. Um, so what he's reading to me isn't career advice, right? It's, I haven't told him anything really about myself, about my doubts about staying with the company, about, you know, uh, my lack of clarity and connection, my, whether I'll ever figure out what to do with my life, right? So we mostly just talked about him, but somehow he intuited something about me, right? The questions that I was asking were betraying something about my inner process, my doubts, my insecurities. He's listening. Um, so he's reading to me from this book in this shaky, gravelly kind of voice and gently kind of coaching me. Right? Um, and for whatever reason, it just cuts right through me, gives me this clarity and you know, the thing that he was talking about, perspective. And um, so he finishes reading. He signs the book with this lovely inscription, gives it to me, wishes me good luck, sends me on my way. And even though we hadn't talked like, concretely about my left, my life's direction, you know, what I wanted to do, what I needed to do. I remember stepping out of his house and feeling this absolute clarity about one thing. And it was that I needed to start putting less of my energy in service to corporations and more of it in service to my fellow humans. Um, and I, I was really in that moment that I, that I didn't have a clear vision, but I knew that I needed to start using my gifts, which are writing and speaking to be of help to people. And that shifted, not in like a magical linear way, but it shifted the trajectory of my life. All right? I don't want to oversimplify things, but it set in motion this process that I'm still going through today. 
yeah, I didn't last long at the company. I was gone shortly after that, but that one day made it all worthwhile. I'm just gaining some perspective. On the story. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I pause for effect there. Uh, <laughs> gaining some clarity around that. You know, there's definitely, I love when the sliding doors moments are also about sliding doors people. Mm. You know, those mm-hmm. people that help us in whatever way, shape or form to gain yes. more clarity. And this notion of being in service Oh, mm. I just, I just adore it. And I really, mm. I hope, actually, I'm going to get rid of the word hope. I invite our listeners to think about how are you being in service to mm. your sport, to your organization, to your parents, to your family. Like it goes beyond that because when we are in service, other things dissipate that aren't, you know, when I get so stuck on maybe yeah. a little comment someone said, hey, how can I be in service to this comment? Gain some perspective yeah. on it, rise above it, the you know, the 55,000 foot view. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. I, I love that observation, Emma. I just, I, 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 I love the idea, um, the, you know, the, 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 there's a difference to me between being in service and being a servant. Um, and I think the in service is really, is really, more what I think is is more useful and constructive because and as you've already know about me I'm a word nerd so I so I, I you know these distinctions are important to me and I think when you're being in service you know I'm not I'm not a great you know spiritual leader I I have not gotten rid of all of my ego like when I'm being in service I am I haven't I haven't completely gotten rid of all of my own needs right <laughs> like I'm still trying to get my own needs met um, but I think I think part of it is just realizing that uh i don't know in 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 this country in the us we talk a lot about independence right about being independent and i think what being in service means to me is recognizing our interdependence right recognizing that we actually don't get anywhere without somebody else and that sliding doors moment doesn't happen without that person right um nobody achieves anything on their meaningful on their own. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that that idea of that interdependence really is is part of being in service, I think. Yeah. Awesome insight. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. What about uh, our guiding question where we ask you uh, what makes a great coach in three words or less? Yes. uh, Three words. And I, and I kind of alluded to this maybe, but listening, asking, and connecting. Um, and so I think, I think no one, it's not controversial to say a great coach listens deeply. And I I don't know about you, but for me, it's one of the most demanding and exhausting parts of being a good coach. Um, right. Cause I think in our normal lives, we're all pretty lazy listeners and I include myself in that club. Um, but our, our culture, our society doesn't really value a privileged listening. Um, but when we listen with the intent to really understand somebody, I don't think there's any greater gift we can give. So that's listening. But then I think the, and then maybe this is part of listening, but the next one asking great questions. I mean, I think there's, there's no match for the power of a carefully chosen and punctually placed question. Uh, right. We ask the right question at the right time and we can help, uh, our fellow humans group create new possibilities, right? New realities that didn't exist before. So that's 
asking. And then finally, connecting. And um, I listened to your interview with Jack, with Jack Grapple, uh, absolutely brilliant, talking about the power of connection. And I'm talking about something a little bit different. Um, and I think it's the connecting the dots that we've talked about. Um, something that, that a great coach can do is help clients gain perspective, right? And uh, we connect the dots between aspirations and frustrations, between goals and fears. We help clients gain perspective by connecting the dots. So I'd say these practices, by the way, in my experience working in, in corporate world, these are also things that make great leaders, right? So um, I talk about in, in the book, I talk about six disciplines of human-centric leadership, and it always starts with listening to understand mm. our fellow humans. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And we still have such a long way to go with, mm. with listening versus telling, directing, instructing. Mm. When we think we know better, which comes back to ego as well, doesn't it? So, mm, you know, because it's so subconscious half the time when, when, as you, you know, beautifully shared that you, you, your needs, you're wanting to get your needs met. So we're listening also with the intent sometimes to respond versus mm -hmm. truly listening to understand. So awesome clarifications within those three what makes a great coach, what makes a great leader, mm. what makes a great teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So yes. anyway, there could be a whole book series on what makes a great insert. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's talk about anyway. that. <laughs> your, next, your next book. You've got a series now. Okay. Oh, I tell you, it's still, it's still too raw. The first one. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're still healing from that process. I'm still yeah. healing. Yeah, my partner would kill me if uh, if I said I'm going to go for another one. All right. Uh, so our final official question is where we ask you to ask us a question. So what sparks mm. your curiosity? What's one of your favorite go-to questions? I work with so many sort of like busy, driven folks who are constantly sort of busy doing um, and one of the questions that I like to ask is, when do you do your thinking? So, uh, Emma, when do you do your thinking? It's a great question. <laughs> I honestly, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and answer that. I do yeah. some of my best thinking in the last 20 minutes of a run. Mm. And, and especially here in Colorado, I love finding new running spots to run and I'll run it one way or I'll just change the direction or I, I very rarely just do the same thing every time. And I, and, and it, being totally vulnerable, right. I sort of start and I'm not a, I'm not a runner. Okay. Let's be honest. Okay. I, I do, you know, I manage to do around five kilometers, right. That's I have run two half marathons, but Amazing. I will say, you know, I still have that first, first five minutes. Why am I doing this? This hurts. What, what like <laughs> hang hang on a minute? Why is, why are things wobbling where they shouldn't be wobbling at my age? Mm -hmm. Right, all this mm -hmm. stuff goes through my head, and then all of a sudden, I'll just I'll get this just really awesome clarity. Usually at the end of the run, and right before I get it, um, there'll be that inner voice that says, "Oh, you should stop now." And mm. when I I don't stop, mm. it's like when I push through that voice that says, "No, no." I'm, you know, mm. I'll finish my run or I'll finish the lap or whatever it is that uh, I do some really great thinking. What about oh, you? That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that. I, I think it's um, something, something that you bring up there and I'm not a runner and I don't run. Um, I walk. 
Um, and there's this there's this uh, this Latin phrase that I came across, which is solvatur ambulando, which means it is solved by walking. <laughs> right. And, 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 and that that just speaks the truth to my to my heart. Uh, I absolutely love to walk. I walk several times throughout my day. Um, and a lot of that time I'm like consuming podcasts or audiobooks. I'm always trying to learn new stuff. Um, but I have started to reserve at least one of my walks in the day where I don't have headphones on. And I think what happens to you in that in that moment in your run is what happens to me, which is that default mode network of our brains kicks in, right? Where we get to actually think creatively and our brains do at least one of the main things they're supposed to do, which is think. Um, and I think when we're moving, whether it's running or walking, right, it engages our brain in a totally different way than sitting still. I'm a big believer in stacking, right, which is like sort of accomplishing more than one thing at one time and so thinking and walking i'm doing something good for my brain i'm doing something good for my body um as you are with with running um so that's definitely for me one of the one of the key places when i talk to like uh executives i'll often get a like uh um you know and i, I think they don't realize like how important like, the quantity and quality of their thinking is you know, to, to all the people that they're trying to, to help and support. People will usually say, like, the, the answers I almost often get is in the shower or, like, during my commute, right? And I think, I think those are fine, like, those are, because those are default mode network kinds of places. But I think that ends up being sort of catch-as-catch-can. It ends up not being a deliberate thing. Whereas if you know that when I go for a run, I'm also going to get some good thinking done, like, you're blocking out time for two activities that are important to you right and and key to your thriving and the key i think also is blocking out the time mm-hmm. for, for many years i was a paper girl diary uh-huh. <laughs> right and it took me a while i maybe showing my age it's maybe a bit embarrassing now i love my elect- electronic but at the mm-hmm. start of the week i still have a paper diary that I, I put in how many runs I'm going to get in, how many gym sessions I'm going to get in, and you know mm. what what my regime mm. regime that's a, that we need to I throw let's throw that word out because it, <laughs> it actually doesn't resonate with me at all. Uh, mm, my my time, right? Mm, it's my practice. Mm, I love it. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and so yeah, I I think that I love everything that that we're talking about so far. Um, it really is singing to my heart. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about your definition of an engaged employee. I want to talk about this definition because I I I have, as you said, which I love. You said Emma, just you know, if you use it, give me credit, and I've used <laughs> it in uh, in a talk for human resource managers. Awesome, and, love it. Um, I give you credit. And so you've upgraded it, which I love. We we all reserve the right to upgrade everybody. <laughs> Our yes. thinking, that's growing, that's learning. So I'm just going to read it and then I'd yeah. love for you to comment on it, um, mm-hmm. please. So a fellow human who is so emotionally connected and committed to their work that they willingly and proactively go above and beyond their job description to help the organisation attain its vision, fulfill its mission, and achieve its goals in return for the promise of increased satisfaction, fulfillment, self-actualizing, and flourishing. Eric Isle. 
<laughs> yes. Yes. I'll pause there. I have really spent a lot of time on those those 50 or so words. And it's and it's because I think there's so much conventional wisdom that is how do we as leaders engage employees or uh engage anyone really right and uh and i think the the one of the subtexts of that definition is we don't <laughs> you don't engage a person it's not something you do to somebody right and you know i mean i think the the book that you and i both love i think the power of full engagement right like the the idea is is that uh is that it's a condition we develop <laughs> right as individuals we develop this sense of being engaged which is this emotional connection and commitment to what we're up to uh we develop that and what leaders can do is not engage people but create the conditions in which we are more likely to develop that sense of engagement so uh, the analogy that I like to use is, uh, is it, is it carpentry or is it gardening? Um, and read this, I didn't make up this, this analogy. Um, Alison Gopnik, who wrote a book about child rearing that was called the, the gardener and the carpenter. But, uh, it's this idea that, you know, being a leader in an organization, you can, you can cultivate engagement. You can't design and build it. It's, it's not something where you have a plan and you have the right tools and the right materials and you build it. Uh, it's about deliberate practices that we do over time that create the conditions. And when we create those conditions, uh, we do so by focusing on the humans. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then those humans develop that emotional connection and commitment. Yeah, the word deliberate practice Mm. <laughs> resonates and I think that will really resonate with the sports coaches on the line because yes. I remember when I was you know really questioning what does it mean to be a, a sports coach when it all boiled down it was always about the environment it was about mm. how can I let the environment do the teaching for me how can I say less and question mm. more how can the environment just help them explore what what it is that they need to discover, whatever that is for them? Yeah, so that's beautiful. Go now to some of these thirteen principles that um, mm. X is sure. more powerful than Y. So, highly recommend mm -hmm. check out this video on Eric's website if you haven't seen it. I I loved it. Uh, there's a couple that really stood out for me that I'd love for you to just go into a bit more detail. Sure. And it's the this one here around intrinsic motivation is greater than extrinsic. Yeah. Now, as a motivational speaker, there we are. We're with these, we're in on the stage and we're inviting people to you know grasp the concept. Uh we're we're motivating, leaders are doing these meetings, you know, to motivate people. And I want to know how does a leader flip that mm. and how do we help our human beings become intrinsically motivated or can we? Mm. Right. Yeah. I think that, that, that last part, right. I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think similarly to, similarly to engagement, I think motivation is already within us. We have we have motivations, and and I guess 
you know, as we speak, Emma, you know, I'm, I'm realizing, I think one of my sort of foundational principles <laughs> is I really believe in uh, individual autonomy within an interdependent world. Uh, and so I am always a little bit allergic to anything that sounds like we're getting somebody to do anything uh, because it doesn't end up getting long-term results usually. Uh, so I think, yeah, as, you know, as speakers, part of our job is to motivate. And I think that, I think that's an interesting, uh, choice of words, right. But, but really what it is, I think is to, is to stoke the motivations that already exist. Right. And I think, I think our job as speakers is to understand the motivations of our audience and how we can help them tap into those motivations. And, uh, you know, the, the intrinsic versus extrinsic, there's, uh, you know, a, a ton of, of behavioral economics research um, that shows that you can get short-term results with extrinsic motivators. You can absolutely, I call it bribing, right? You can absolutely bribe people to get a result. You, you certainly can, but only in the short term. Mm. Right? Where, whereas intrinsic motivation, if we're tapping into what, what I'm deeply motivated by, I'm going to keep going after that. That's how yeah. I think about that. Yeah. I love that approach and I hope parents listening can mm. maybe consider if you do this, I'll give you this. And does that work in the long run or what are, what are you creating there? So thank yes. you. Thank you for sharing that. All right. I want to go to another one that I love around we over they. Tell me mm. more. Tell me oh, more. We, we is stronger than they. I think the what I've been really pondering over the past few years is it really matters what we mean when we say we. <laughs> and I think that it, it's contextual and it, and it varies, right? It, it might be me and my partner. It might be me and my family. It might be me and my community. It, you know, it, can, it can change based on context. But I think uh, when I come at this from a workplace standpoint, there are always these, these small we's and big they's in workplaces, right? The small we is our team or our department uh, in a corporation. Um, and there's, and everybody else is them, you know, is, is they. Um, and there's, there's less that's possible when we, when we have that narrow sense of what we mean when we say we and a big sense of what we mean when we say they. And so broadening out what we mean by we, and I, you know, I frankly look at this from a social political lens as well when we start to, to to broaden out what we what comes to mind when we say we i believe we just create greater possibilities more possibilities um that didn't maybe exist when we had this very narrow sense of we mm, fantastic you know i'd love to stay on this <laughs> interview much much longer but knowing how long people listen to podcasts myself yes. And yes. what the data research, unfortunately, I, I am going to round it off with this, this last question. I want to know how somebody could really take the first step to being more human-centric in their leadership. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that question. It's a, re it's a really good one. I, I, will give, I will give two answers. One, one is the answer that I always give, and one is specific for you. Um, so just amping up the ratio between listening and talking, I think is, is the thing that all of us and myself included uh, can work on. Um, 
so if there were if there were one practice to focus on, it would be it would be listening. That is that is the most human centric thing we can do. Um, I will say as a as a second sort of tactical answer for you, um, I have pulled out the introductory chapter of my book um, for your listeners. So people can go and get that and read that. And that's also a good first step to take. Um, so that's at ericisle.com slash Emma. People can go and get that. And that's a good first step as well. And shameless promotion for ericisle.com. <laughs> well, I tell you, uh, everybody, please follow Eric. He's just... You are. You you inspire me to mm. think differently and and I guess in some ways just don't just accept the status quo, challenge the mm. status quo. All right, I've got one more question for you. Uh, sure. Reframing soft skills because you're a wordsmith. Come on, what have you got? Are we gonna? Can we just? Can't you? Can't you come up with something? For us? <laughs> it is... People value these these soft skills. What What are your thoughts? Any ideas? It's well, you know what's you know what's interesting about that, Emma. I, I've thought a lot about this. It's not surprising. Um, and in my 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 first sort of gut reaction is is well, let's give it a let's give it a name like foundational skills or you know fundamental skills, and people have done that. Uh, but I also think within that question, there's a there's a privileging of hard over soft. And I think if, if we accept that, then we accept a binary that I'm not really comfortable with um, because I believe there's great strength in softness. So I would rather lean into that and say, these are soft strengths that, that really matter and that, that something isn't better because it's hard or worse because it's soft, um, but that we can embrace both as things we need. Mm. We need the soft. Yeah, who said that all sorts hard of is 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 better than soft? I oh, see. Mm. I, knew you'd, <laughs> I knew you'd come up, with, but I love soft strengths. That mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew you'd have something for me, uh, Eric. You just honestly, it's it's been a pleasure to be in service to you in this conversation mm. uh, with listening, asking hopefully a couple of interesting questions for you and of course connecting thank you so much for being on the coaching podcast oh such a pleasure emma thanks for thanks for having me it's been a delight and thank you everybody for listening the coaching podcast is sponsored by the samson agency a boutique talent agency managing entertainers artists and athletes you can learn more at thesamsonagency.com and if you're interested in becoming a coach Check out opendoorcoachingusa.com for all our latest courses in Leader as Coach and our High Performance Workplace Coaching Certification. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to give it a rating and a review on your podcast listening device. Thanks for listening.